everybody. We are back for another episode of First Down Rundown. Yeah, you guys were. That was, that was yes. Who was that? Who was that? That was my wife, Maureen. Wow. First, there you go. Uh, first appearance, first a debut on the podcast. So, uh, you know, I think I think it was pretty good. It sounded just like Hayden, right? I mean, everybody was thinking like, wait. This this isn't a this isn't this is a completely normal episode, right? I mean, there's nothing different about that voice. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could say so. I I do sound like that. Yeah, I I guess. Yeah. Okay. So um. Yeah, this is a new episode of First Down Rundown, season three, episode nine of First Down Rundown. We're back, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports, whether a casual fan or an avid fan. This is the place for you. Had to get that in there because we didn't make the slogan for nothing, right, Matt? That's I mean, that would be terrible if we left it out of this episode, but. Yes, we had an exciting introduction by none other than herself, Maureen Vozar, the new Vozar. And we are we are stoked to have her do the intro to the to the episode. And now she's in the background cleaning the ceiling, sw- swiffering the ceiling. That's she, she she killed a bug that was on the ceiling with a swiffer. I, there had to be there had to be better options than that. But, you know, that's what we got. So yeah, that's what you got. Hey, last I think it was last week I saw a fly on my mirror and Matt, you know, you know me with bugs. I mean, Hey, I, I don't do, I don't do well with bugs. You, you would imagine that a fly is, is a dragon as it pertains to Hayden's fear of bugs. I'm actually probably more scared of flies than dragons at this point. But if I were ever to meet a dragon in person, then I would probably be more scared of that, but that day will hopefully come. But yeah, there was a fly on my, on my wind. I mean, my mirror in my bathroom and I had to kill it with my Birkenstock which which was uh, I actually got in one try and I, I creeped up on it and everything. But jokes aside, though, we've got yes, we've got a podcast episode to do. We've got NFL and college football today. And then at the end of the episode, make sure to stay for the end of the episode. I'm going to be talking about my new thing that I have to say about my personal life. It's, it's not like bad. It's, it's, it's actually a, a very good thing. And it won't really have any implications on the podcast. But I'm just saying at the at the end of the episode so that Maybe anybody that's new doesn't come here and just immediately start listening to something about somebody that they don't even care about. They want to hear about football. So we're going to give you guys football. If you're new here, welcome. We're first on rundown and we're going to be talking some football today. Matt, do you have anything to say before we before we hop into NFL? I'm uh, well, besides the fact that we, we I am instituting my betting locks of the week this episode. We've missed Finally. it for the for I mean, it's seriously, we're almost like halfway through the college football season. What are we doing here? I, it, because of the new schedule, I've gotten a little messed up on my, you know, my my schedule in my own head when I'm releasing. Because the thing is, too, you got to think about it. We do our you know podcast on Monday nights and, you know, the lines are out at that point. But you, gotta, you don't have enough time to, to dive into the stats. All right, look at this money movement, okay? The, the real betting stuff that we need to be looking at. So, you know, and then we've kind of done some episodes of Saturday, whatever. That's coming back this week, okay, at the end of the episode. Well, maybe maybe between kind of the college football section and Hayden's personal section. Um, betting last week, I'm going to get one college and one NFL. We're going to do a little bit more structured this year, and we'll be good to go. Uh, unfortunately, though, as I was pretty much saying, the Bengals were my biggest bet of the week, and that already cashed. So that's okay, though, because – I didn't give that out to you guys. We got another one coming up on Sunday. We'll set one Saturday, one Sunday. So we'll be good to go on that uh, later on as well. Hey, I actually, I took the Bengals as well with that three and a half. I took the Bengals pretty confidently because I was saying, hey, everybody's going to be picking the Dolphins tonight because they're three and oh, and they're expected to go into Cincinnati and take it. But hey, uh, Las Vegas knows more than we do, right? Anyway, with that being said, we are going to move into NFL for our first topic. 
So we're just going to kind of give a little brief recap of Thursday night football, which was last night. Obviously we have the luxury of doing that because we're recording on Friday. So we're going to go over Thursday night football and Tua's injury as well. That was, that was the big highlight of the night. Obviously it's never, it's never a headline that you want to have come out of a game, but that's basically all that came out of that game. Obviously the, the Bengals won by what was it like 12 or something like that. So they won pretty big, but Right. That's not really that's not really the focus of the game last night. Obviously, the Bengals have proved by now that they're that they're kind of getting to midseason form. I would say I don't know if they're completely there yet, but I think that Super Bowl hangover may may be kind of getting itself going a little bit. Maybe they're drinking a little bit of Pedialyte or Gatorade or something like that. And they're getting some of that hangover worn away, I guess, at this point. Um, they Obviously, the, the Dolphins are a tough opponent coming into Cincinnati and. Yes, Tua got hurt, and and I think it was the third quarter or something like that. But right, they were still. I think they were still winning at that point, and they were able to close it out against a, a Miami team that, even without Tua, I think is is still pretty strong. So, but right, I I think that we also did see that Tua is, is is a very big part of that team. And in the past, Matt and I have not really been too high on Tua's football ability. But again, prayers up to him and. It was terrible to see that happen last night. Matt, do you have any thoughts on the the Tua situation? I know there's been a lot of kind of chatter around the league, around the public in general, that the league's concussion protocol is whack or that the league's, um, I guess, way of bringing back players too fast is whack. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, that's the problem. And it got a little bit blown up last night, which is good. Obviously, it's good to get recognition like this when we have a case like this that happens. And and I wanted to talk about the podcast because it was something that kind of, you know, you had to be a little bit more into the Internet and kind of looking around last night late uh, when the game was happening to be able to kind of piece this all together. Here's the deal. So Tua went down in the second half of Sunday's game against the Bills. And again, they're playing on Thursday night. So that's four days, four days from Saturday or sorry. Four days from Sunday to Thursday. And, and that's not a lot of time. Now he went down in the Bills game and they called it a back injury. And even if, even then, like during that game and the way that he got tackled, he like if you watch it, he kind of throws the ball. I forget what Ravens defender pushed him down, but it was one of those like he kind of pushed him and he, he was like backpedaling and then kind of lost his balance and just fell down. And so it looked like it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a hard contact or anything, but it was one of those things where he was so off balance that he just fell down, like his butt hit the ground first and then his head just like smacks the ground. And so you're, you're thinking like, all right, is this a back injury really? I don't know about this. And I don't think it was. And I think that's kind of the main issue here is the fact that they, they called it a back injury, right? He goes into halftime. He goes into the tent. They're like, you know, checking him for a back injury, right? And then they're like, oh, well, he's he's good to play because his back is fine. And it's like, no, I, I don't think that's what happened. I think he got a concussion. And then they, told, they said that it was a back injury and they didn't really test him for the concussion. Or if they did, they didn't show any results that could have proved that he did have a concussion just so that he could get back on the field and win the game. Now, again, as we talked about on Monday's podcast as well, you know, the Dolphins, that win against the Bills was a big game. They're 3-0. They're, them and the Eagles are the only 3-0 teams in the league. The Dolphins have now have wins over the Ravens and the Bills, two of the other best teams in the AFC. That's a huge win to get, and it's a, it's one of those cases where you know, if he is hurt, you still want him to be on the field because he gives your chance to, to your, he gives your team a chance to win a game that otherwise you, you probably wouldn't be able to do. So that's the whole issue that's that, that's surrounding this is that prior to last night's game, prior to the game against the Bengals, you have this other 
lingering injury that that was kind of it looks like covered up by the team a little bit okay and then he gets there thursday and it's like everybody's kind of pointing signs to you know if he is to unfortunately right and it's actually and you probably saw it kind of the guy went viral but there's some neuro neuro doctor or whatever um who tweeted out before the game started basically being like if if the dolphins let Tua play and and unfortunately he somehow suffers some basically exactly what happened right some sort of you know big hit to the head or or you know any type of injury that could impact a a concussion like symptom which was already happening you know because of the game on sunday this could ruin his career this could i mean this is what kills people he said that if you get like two concussions within the span of 5 days is enough to ruin someone's career and and you know they'll never be able to play football again and so and now he's right he's kind of he went viral and he was on the Dan Levitard show this you know today and then everything and talking about this stuff which is very real and and so you think about it and it's like this is a lot more than you know we got a good win against the bills and four days four days later we got to we got to turn around and play the Bengals Hayden did a good job of outlining you know, right. They, they, the defense was on the field for 90 snaps. The defense was on the field for like 45 minutes dur- during that game against the bills. You know, they're tired. They're beat up. They're playing in, in Miami last week. I think it was like 95 degrees um, during that game against the bills short rest, right. Four days later, you got to travel all the way up to Cincinnati. You got to get your, you know, your body ready and to play again. It's they were facing a terrible situation. And, and on top of that, you have this whole injury with, with Tua. And it's like, if he did get a concussion on Sunday against the bills, and, right. And he has any type of small, you know, little extra motion that could impact his head. Like it could be really serious. And that's exactly what we saw. And so it's like, to a certain extent, is it, you know, is it likely that with, you know, within two games and a four day span, like you're going to have two crazy hits to the head on the same person, you know, usually maybe not, but at the same time, like he's your quarterback, he's your best player. You need him to be on the field and I get it, you know, they might have been trying to kind of fluff the results of the concussion test a little bit so that he would be able to play. But that's the worst possible thing you can do for a guy who you do need to be on your team, because it's one of those things that like if if you need him for the long term, if he's going to be your franchise quarterback, you can't just throw him out there when he's the potential of hitting his head again and ending up what did happen, where he essentially had head trauma. Like you heard on the, you know, when they came back from the broadcast, Al Michaels said that, you know, the things that with his fingers like I don't know why they show that so many times too I'm always like why are we doing like whenever there's a knee injury and some guy like breaks his leg they're like okay we're not going to show we're only going to show this once look away if you get squeamish but for like I remember in the in the NBA finals or sometime in the NBA playoffs Gary Payton the second like his elbow like splits in the wrong way and they show it like it's the court and he like go and they show it like 10 times it's like dude this is the exact same thing that happens to people's legs when they like break on the court and you're not and you're showing it and then same thing with Tua they're like literally this guy is like his brain is like dying and they're like yeah so let me just slow-mo this and show it in 40 different angles we didn't need to see it we saw it the first time we know what's happening it's really bad we get it off the television right either way they said that that result that was or that his body his anatomical response to that was a response to head trauma which that's like a really serious term that's something that's not good if you're just hearing those two words being put together and if that's what he's dealing with here again you know hopefully he's able to get back on the field at some point in his career but I mean this could shorten his life by you know many many years so I don't know. It'll, there's a lot to be figured out here. Obviously the NFL is going to do their whole investigation with the dolphin staff and everything that they did. And and if they find nothing wrong, then fine. But I mean, this could be a serious deal and we're going to have to kind of wait to find out, I guess what the result of it is. Yeah, exactly. And actually this is, 
this is kind of timely. Again, not at all saying that an injury like this is good, but like Matt said, it's it's almost like when this kind of thing does happen, it's it it raises questions about the league's protocols, and that's that's good when people are questioning. Okay, right, it's such a dangerous sport. Are we actually are we actually bringing these guys back too soon? Are we putting these guys in too much danger? Because we all know that the NFL is a business, and the NFL has TV deal TV deals out the wazoo, which is also a huge business, which is a huge part of their own business at this point. So everybody's looking at the NFL and is like, okay, well, you're just a money-making machine. All these TV deals as well, like just making money left and right. And you're basically, you have concussion protocols, but nobody knows what those protocols are except for the medical staff, right? And so it's like, you could just be paying off the medical staff to be to say, okay, well, yeah, these protocols are, full you know foolproof plans that get by guys back safely and everything like that but we see time and time again like these guys they're they're coming back too soon essentially and that there was actually a, a lawsuit filed or i guess it tyra taylor sued the chargers a little just a little bit ago because in 2020 i think i think he was uh i don't, I don't know he was i guess he was playing for them when Justin Hurt. I guess Justin Herbert was, wasn't even. It was between, league. yeah. So he was going to start for them in the beginning of the season. Yeah. And then the thing with Hayden's going to get to it, but like Justin Herbert started as a result of this yeah. whole thing going down. Yeah. Right. So Tyrod Taylor essentially he had some rib injury or something like that, and he got what they do in the NFL and, and probably in the NBA and other sports leagues. But I I know that they do in the NFL. I'm not really sure about other sport, professional sports leagues, but. They probably do do it in those leagues, but essentially what they do is like before a game, unless you have a broken bone or unless you have like some torn ligament or something, something structurally wrong with your body. If it's just pain or soreness that you have, a lot of times what they'll do before games is inject you with like, they'll stick a needle in you and they'll inject you with painkillers. And it's, and what these are like, it's not just your regular, you know, everyday Tylenol over the, over the counter, ibuprofen or whatever it's like it's like a very strong painkiller that lasts for the duration of the game essentially and then after the game you're pretty much back in pain but it's 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 meant to get you out there and not feeling pain so that you play at your fullest potential and what happened to tyra taylor was essentially and nobody knew about this until he came out with this lawsuit apparently like nobody nobody knew until he sued the chargers that when they injected a painkiller needle into him to lower his pain from that rib injury that he had in 2020 right before the game, they punctured one of his lungs. I think, I think, I think he had a, he had a punctured lung from that needle. And he basically said that it caused him, obviously it caused him a lot of pain. And then he had to go to the hospital afterwards. And it, it basically, he said that it caused him like mental trauma, which I mean, I think that's pretty fair. Like that, you know, having a punctured, punctured lung during a game and knowing that you have something wrong with you and you taking a painkiller and you feeling more pain is never a good thing. Like that's not supposed to happen. So I, and obviously going to the hospital after the game is like, yeah, that's, that's not too good. Right. But that's what we're starting to see here with, with more of these cases of the NFL, just like not being so safe with its players and not thinking about the health and like the long-term health of its players. It's just like, it's, it just looks a little bit questionable. Now, again, I don't like a lot of people are, are saying it's it's all in the NFL and it's all in the Dolphins and everything like that. It, it might be like they might be telling to what to go I, again. We have we really have no idea what happens behind the scenes. And it would it would really make me mad to know if 
they were forcing Tua to go back out there if he wasn't comfortable to do so. But at the end of the day, from what I think is like ethical, at least from what I think is probably happens Tua was probably like, they probably asked Tua at the end of the day, Hey, do you feel good to go out there and play tonight? And obviously Tua is a competitor. He's probably going to say yes, even if he's in, you know, some, some pain still from his concussion that he received last Sunday. But like at the end of the day, it probably still is the, the player's choice at the end of it all. But right. I mean, these, these concussion protocols are something that need to be looked at and need to be kind of, I think exposed to the public. I think that's probably the best way to do it is to just literally like walk us through a, I don't know, give us like a blueprint of what you do to evaluate a guy for a concussion to let everybody know, like, Hey, we're not keeping this stuff secret. It's, it's what medical professionals do. And like, it's just a violent sport, right? Like, like football is just a violent sport in general. So we'll give you guys all the information we have. It's not really our faults like that. That's probably what they need to do at this point. But again, they're probably going to find some way around it to keep that stuff hidden and behind the scenes where we can't really know. And that that's kind of the un- unfortunate part about it. But yeah. All right. So we're moving to the second topic here. It's about the AFC West. Now the AFC West, I mean, this is the supposedly the best division in football. I mean, it was hyped up preseason, probably more than any other division preseason hype uh, in NFL history, right? I mean, you even had those years when the 49ers and the Seahawks were were really good and, you know, always battling it out in the NFC championship and stuff. Um, you know, we've had years where the AFC North, uh, or sorry, AFC, well, yeah, AFC North, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, Ravens, all that stuff. The AFC East, right? Patriots, Jets, they've had, you know, they've had, had good years in the past, but nothing, it seems like the, the AFC West this year. Uh, and obviously, right. I mean, a lot of it is is warranted because the, every team seems to have their franchise quarterback in place. Every team seemed to make a lot of great moves on the defensive end of the ball, right, to secure that defense. And then obviously, uh, you know, continue with their weapons on offense, whether it be, you know, the Devontae Adams trade uh, for the uh, Devontae Adams trade for the Raiders. Uh, Obviously, Russell Wilson went to the Broncos, right? I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of weapons in 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 these offenses now too, and so I think that was kind of part of this is these teams are all stacked. They look really good. Obviously, Justin Herbert, you know, is in his third year, but looked like he could be an MVP candidate, right? But obviously, the results up to this point have have a lot to be desired, and so you know, kind of as we look at this, just as a general bird's eye view, every team has had at least one bad loss. Okay, so we have the Chiefs who just lost to the Colts. This past week, probably the worst loss of all in the division, right? The Chargers have, you know, they lost to the Jaguars last game in as much as the Jaguars look like they might be frisky this year. Their wins came against teams that, you know, who really knows? But either way, the, the, the Chargers lost by 28 to the Jaguars. That's that's a bad loss, all right? The Broncos lost, obviously, in their first game to Seattle. The Seahawks are, are one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. And even in their two wins since then, the Broncos, you know, they, they barely beat the Texans, who were also one of the worst teams in the, in the league this year. And then the 49ers, but that was a weird Sunday night game, and Jimmy G gave them a safety right, right walking out of the back of the end zone. And then the last team, obviously, um, we have the Raiders, who <laughs> – are probably the worst of all because they're 0 and 3. They're the only 0 and 3 team in the league. That's a fun fact. They're only three. They're not the only winless team. The Texans are also winless, but they're 0 2 and 1 because they have to die against the Colts. But the Raiders are the only 0 and 3 team in the league, and their schedule hasn't been that tough. They haven't even gotten in division play, right? So here's the thing with the Raiders: not only are they 0 and 3, but each of the three teams they've played are 0 and 6 in their other games, not against the Raiders. So. I, 
come on. I mean, we got to do better than this, right? I mean, the AFC West, the best division in football, not looking like it so far. So, yes, each team has had a bad loss. Each of them have also lacked the explosiveness that we expected on one side of the ball, right? So the Chiefs in their first game against the Cardinals, they looked great on offense. But since then, Chargers game, they won because of a 99-yard pick six, all right? And then they obviously lost to the Colts and only scored 17 points against them. The Chargers offense, yeah. I mean, Justin Herbert has, you know, his injury, you know, has a little bit to play in that. But they haven't looked explosive. They put 10 points up on the Jaguars at home. I mean, come on, dude. The Bron- Well, the Broncos, I mean... <laughs> We can go on and on about their offense and how it just horrible. I don't know how they look bad because they have such good players on offense. It's just not coming together. Uh, and it's a lot of it is red zone. I think there was a, there was a crazy stat. It was like, they've, they've been in the red zone five times and they've had three total points on those five red zone, red zone. Drive. That's like hard. That's hard to do. That's like you, you get a turnover in the red zone every single time you like, what do you, what? So obviously, you know, whatever there. And then the Raiders, their offense looks pretty good, right? It looks okay. They've put up some points, but it's their defense that just keeps allowing these teams back into the game. Um, so every kind of each team also has a side of the ball on which that they, we thought they were going to be better. Turns out they're just kind of not really showing up. And so Kind of just going to go over how each team's looking so far, how we think the division might play out as the season goes along, and then you know, kind of just some general talk about the AFC West uh, here, who at this point is not looking like the the best division in football. In fact, what many people consider the best or the worst division in football, the NFC East, is actually the best division in football right now, record wise. So we got a little bit of a mix up here. Hayden, what do you got? Yeah, that's actually a really good stat there that the NFC East is technically the best division in football and i would i would argue that like the afc south is also probably yes one of the worst divisions in in football but they're but, actually but we doing expected, pretty well yeah we expected the afc south to be bad that was a th- i mean we even on the win totals podcast before the season started we knew like yeah all these teams are going to be bad whoever wins the division is going to be like seven and eleven <laughs> yeah right but i mean the jaguars like the jaguars beat the beat the Chargers by 28 and the Jaguar they've looked pretty good just in general like they've they've been I mean they've been a pretty good team so far and so back to the AFC West <laughs> so right I think I think the Chiefs are probably the team that every, like everybody was saying or a lot of people were saying before the season oh the Chargers like they're gonna go to the Super Bowl they're gonna you know go just crush everybody this year and it's like no like the Chargers are the same team that we've seen year in and year out. Like they, they're, they're literally the definition of the chargers that we've seen. They're actually, well, they're worse than the chargers that we've seen in the past. And they beefed up their defense a lot. And it's like their defense, let the, the Jaguars score 38 points. Like that's not, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's a, I think he's a beast, but he's not that much of a beast. Right. I think he's the only thing though with the chargers. And I, and I went and, you know, I was everybody, Oh, injuries, injuries, whatever. I think the chart, I think there was a stat that like, cause the NFL does their top 100 ratings for all the players and whatever. And I think five of their seven of the top 100 players are on the chargers and they're all hurt. I think they have 10 pro bowlers or at least players who have been to the pro bowl before that are all hurt right now. So injuries are definitely a big part of the chargers kind of lack of success so far, but still right. I mean, a game like, like this, where you get blown out to Jacksonville, you just, it's, it's the same old chargers. We got to be doing a little bit better. Yeah, and usually what happens is if you get right, if if, if you get a veteran guy that you're going to put in front of a guy that's probably started in an NFL game before or a couple NFL games before, if you get a veteran guy that's going to come in front of him, he should like that backup should be able to do his job at least somewhat. You know, it's it's like these guys are in the NFL for a reason. 
it's not like once you lose a couple starters, you just absolutely fall to pieces. I mean, we know that having superstars on your team is really important and that usually gives teams an edge in, in some cases. But again, like you shouldn't be getting blown out by 28 points against Jaguars just because a few of your guys are hurt on defense. And I may be kind of undermining this a little bit, but I don't think that, that I don't think that there's much you can argue against when you lose to the Jaguars by 28. Anyway, the Chiefs, I think their offense, their offense is fine. I have Patrick Holmes on one of my one of my fantasy teams. And I also have Juju Smith Schuster on two of my fantasy teams. I don't think that they're using Juju enough. I don't think I think that the first game they used him pretty well. Like he got he got a lot of a lot of receptions. He's one of those guys that needs a lot of volume. He's not gonna he's not gonna break your first catch or break his first catch for like 50 yards for a touchdown. I mean, he's, he's just not really that kind of player. He's an explosive player, but I think as you feed him throughout the game, you're going to find that he's, he's going to start kind of working himself into the game more. I think that the chiefs probably need to do that more on offense. I think their defense has been pretty good. I mean, they've, they've like Chris Jones is making plays down low. I, I know I've heard his name quite a bit on, on TV when I watch them. And so he's, yeah, Chris Jones. I mean, he's, he's always making plays though. Let's be honest. But Without Tyron Matthew, like their their kind of secondary, their back part of the secondary, that safety area, they they look kind of fine. They still have, I think, uh, Legarius Sneed there, and he's he's making some plays on defense. So like I th- I think that the Chiefs are probably pretty fine. They're probably the team that we have to worry least about in this division so far. So that's pretty much all I have to say about them. The Raiders, like Matt said, is they're pretty beat up on defense. Or not beat up on defense, but they're just pretty beat on defense. Meaning. They're not good and they need to be better. I think Derek Carr is like so far, he hasn't really shown us that he's the quarterback that everybody expects him to be and that he expects to be, but right. It's only been three games. So we should, we should probably wait a little bit to assess him. I'm sure that we're going to have a topic on Derek Carr coming up like kind of mid season to, to kind of evaluate if he's really doing anything with all the weapons that he has in Las Vegas. You could argue that he has the best, top three weapons in the, in the league in terms of like any team having three guys to go to that you can just trust at any time. And then the chargers, like Matt said, I mean, I I kind of already talked about them, but their offense, like everybody just raves about Austin Eckler before the season and about how, how many fantasy points he's going to score. And he never really does that. Like he, he just never sustains a good fantasy season. In my opinion, he's already off to a pretty bad start. I think, I don't know what his, what, what his ranking is, but and I also don't don't have him on any of my fantasy teams, so I may be wrong, but I do think that he's not really living up to expectations this year. And the receiving core, I mean, Mike Williams had a pretty good game last last week, but Mike Williams was also not off to a good start. So I think that once they get past this Justin Herbert injury, the the Chargers will probably be back on track. But again, I mean, if if that defense can't stay healthy, they're just gonna have let up a bunch of points, and Justin Herbert's gonna have to score a lot more than he was going to in the first place yeah I I tend to agree with Hayden in terms of kind of the general view of the whole division I think the Chiefs are going to do it again I mean I think to this point their offense is struggling and what a lot of people are going to say is well the offense is struggling because they traded away their best offensive player Tyreek Hill no their best offensive player is Patrick Mahomes okay their most explosive player is Tyreek Hill and and yes he provided them a lot of assistance it was deep ball you know threat I mean he, he's running down the field like nobody and nobody can catch him literally nobody can catch this guy all right so obviously it's Tyreek Hill like we got that but Patrick Mahomes is what makes the offense go and I think that they're gonna it might be it might be a period of adjustment okay but 
In that first game against the Cardinals, we saw what the true talent was, and then they got a win against the Chargers, a divisional game there, and they had a slip up against the Colts. I actually bet on the Colts last week. It was a classic spot that, you know, they were just going to drop it. The Colts looked horrible. I knew they were going to step up in their home stadium. And two, the Chiefs, A, Travis Kelsey dropped a touchdown pass, all right, to basically win the game. They also, Sky Moore muffed a punt that they could have won the game on, right? And then Indianapolis pulls out this, you know, crazy last second. So they should have won that game anyway. Okay. But so I think the Chiefs are going to be fine. I think they're going to win the division. But I think, you know, in terms of the AFC at large, it might be one of those situations where it may not be just the Bills and the Chiefs that, you know, everybody are, are is just completely, you know, they're the best and that's it. So let's move on to the next topic here. Uh, we're going to be talking about Kyle Pitts who he's been one of the most disappointing players in fantasy so far this season, kind of compared to last season when he was a rookie, everybody was like, he's going to, you know, they gave him, he was had so much expectations and all this stuff. And he actually did really well last year. They have over a thousand yards catching. He didn't have too many touchdowns, but a lot better than I think a lot of people expected, or at least he lived up to a lot of the hype that people were thinking about. Right. Um, So anyway, he was ranked in the top four or five of tight ends, you know, in almost all rankings before the season, but he's never, he's tight end number 17 so far in, in fantasy football, in terms of, you know, fantasy football scoring points. Um, so with such little talent on this Falcons offense right now, other than Kyle Pitts, do we think the teams are just keying in on him or is this a lack of production caused by bad play calling or basically just not using him enough? Hayden, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I wrote, I wrote down this topic cause I wanted to just talk about Kyle Pitts for a second because I think that a lot of people are not really talking about him. A, because he's on the Falcons, and the Falcons are one of the worst teams in the league. Marcus Mariota is not really doing it for them this year. Sorry to say, but yeah, Falcons fans, he's probably not the answer. But I think that Kyle Pitts is the answer, and I think that Kyle Pitts should be thrown the ball more. That in just in general, like, why are we not giving this guy the ball? He is a six foot six, like two hundred thirty or two hundred forty pound tight end who runs a four, four flat, I think, or four in the four fours for the 40 yard dash. Like, dude, this guy is nuts. He's a freak athlete. He's probably one of the most freakish athletes that we've seen come into the NFL. And like Matt said, last year they fed him like they, as much as you didn't really hear much about him because again, they're the Falcons. He got a lot of the workload in that offense last year. Uh, It was basically him and Cordero Patterson. That's what it's been this year too. Like the, the Falcons have run the ball so much. I think I think in total they have like 79 pass attempts over three games, which if you think about it, it's like not that much. But I mean, that's like, that's what, 20, that's like 27, no, 28 pass attempts-ish per game, I think. 29 pass attempts per game. Something like that, okay? It's, uh yeah, it's, it's, it's right around 29 pass attempts per game. So it's like, that's not enough in my opinion. I know that you're putting the you're putting the ball in Marcus Mariota's hands and he's not the most trustworthy quarterback in the in the league. But can we please have some kind of offensive mind on this Falcons staff do something with Kyle Pitts? Like I, I know that Andy Reid is one of the one of the more one of the brighter offensive minds in the league. But like you see what he does with Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey has been known as the best tight end tight end in the league or the most productive tight end in the league consistently over the past like three or four years, I would say basically ever since they started going to the Super Bowl and the Chiefs started dominating Travis Kelsey has been seen as one of the most talented tight ends in the league and the most productive on average, right? He's still one of the most productive, if not the most productive, like he's, he's still, I mean, you go argue Mark Andrews now because he's working in, in Baltimore, but if we have Travis Kelsey continuing to just 
go crazy and and be used in different ways and like have these weird pitches from from Patrick Mahomes when he like fakes the speed option out to Clyde and then pitches it back into uh, Travis. I almost said Travis Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Like, why can't we do something like that with Pitts? I know that I know that Pitts isn't as as big of as big of a body as Travis Kelsey, so he's not really made for running in between the tackles and having you know catching that pitch on the inside. But it's like there's got to be a way. Like, there's got to be a way that we can mismatch this guy with either a linebacker on the inside in the slot, or they put him outside sometimes too. Like he's he's essentially just a six foot six wide receiver who has an insane catch radius. Like he he needs to be used more if when in doubt like just chuck it up to Kyle Pitts like that, that's what I would tell Marcus Mariota if he was the quarterback of my football team again the Falcons are running the ball a lot and Cordero Patterson is going off for like basically 100 yards a game at this point which nobody thought that he would replicate from last year but he is somehow like he's he's I think he's in the top 10 for running backs this so far this season too so it's like right that's working so work off of that and maybe put Kyle Pitts on the outside like all the time or something and then just throw it up to him whenever. I I, I don't know. I think that and, – and like Kyle Pitts is also one of those guys that can run an out route from the outside and run it perfectly. And, I mean, you, you got Marcus Mariota throwing the ball, so it's like the, the question is can he get it to Kyle Pitts, you know, if, if Kyle Pitts is running an out route on the outside. But it's like, dude, you they just need to utilize him in a better way, and that's my spiel. Okay, let's move on to college football. So we have to rep Virginia. We're from Virginia. We grew up in here and, and we went to school, went to college everywhere. Everything's been in Virginia uh, for us. And now speaking about college, both of us went to UVA uh, college. That's not too far away from UVA is James Madison university. JMU uh, is new to college football this year in terms of the FBS. They were in the FCS rank or you know, kind of division last year. And so for those of you who are kind of a little bit un- unaware, which, you know, it's, it's not, it's not uncommon to not know this. Okay. So it's okay. I, I, I gotcha. Cause not, you know, not, not, not everyone's as, as, as locked in as I am with this, uh, with this stuff in college football. So the FCS is essentially not, it's not, it's not D2. Okay. There is D2 and that's like a whole completely different level of football. All right. This is, it's essentially just division one FBS and division one FCS. Now they are two different levels of football, right? So we have Division One FBS is is essentially your your biggest schools that all compete in the FBS, and then the FCS. There's also I think about a hundred something schools in the FCS as well, and they all compete. You know, kind of, kind of, it works the same way. It's just there's a different level of competition. Okay, now the FCS, there's teams like North Dakota State who wins the FCS championship. It seems like every year and still hasn't gone up to the FBS level. I hope they do at some point because it's getting to the point where it's like, we, we need to do something about this. Okay. You, you can beat the, you can beat up on the little guys all you want, but we got to do something. All right. We have other teams like Jackson state. So our boy, Deion Sanders coaches at Jackson state. That's actually an FCS team. That's probably why you don't hear about Jackson state and, and Deion Sanders too much in terms of the big kind of, you know, bright spot shining lights of the college football world. Uh, so, you know, those are just a couple examples of FCS teams. Now, James Madison, JMU, was part of the FCS and actually won a national championship, I think, three or four years ago, probably four years ago at this point. And I think it was 2017. And they've been a really good program. So they have their rankings, right? The FCS has their own ranking system. Uh, JMU is consistently in the top five. You know, everything's, you know, they, they, they've always had a solid program. And, and it's really been built up over the past few years. And they were finally able to join the FBS this year. Also, the one 
the coolest thing about the FCS, Hayden, I don't even think you know this. They basically do a March Madness style tournament to decide the champion. Come on. We talk about like, we can't expand from a four team college football playoff. The FCS does literally, I think it's 32, but a literal bracket and you just play the bracket and the winning team wins the bracket. So I know that we can't completely turn it into to, to March Madness and, and college football can't exactly match up with it, but dude, that is so cool. But anyway, I digress. Um, James Madison moved up to the FBS this year. It's pretty remarkable. There, there's not that many teams that are moving up the FBS every year, right? And actually, one of the former teams that was in the FCS that then, then moved up into the FBS is Appalachian State. Now, Appalachian State's made a lot of a lot of noise this year, namely for because they had a 63 to 61 loss against North Carolina in which they put up 40 points in the fourth quarter and didn't win the game. You have to watch to be able to believe it. Uh then they go in and they beat Texas A&M who was number 6 at the time. Crazy win there. The next week, Appalachian State's at home and they're playing Troy and they're down by 4 with two seconds on the clock and they throw a 60 yard hail Mary bomb touchdown to win the game by four points. And everybody goes crazy. And it's like, how did they win this game? It's a, it's a team of destiny. Well, then they turn around the very next week and they play James Madison, who again, it's their first year. And so th- at this point in this kind of what I was making, at this point, app state is in the Sun Belt. They're the, you know, best team in the Sun Belt after having moved up from the F- FCS ranks not too long ago. James Madison kind of fell in that same rung there. They were in the FCS, they move up and they're in the Sun Belt Conference right now. James Madison goes to App State last week and they're down 28 to three. We know that score as a very uh, symbolic score in, in the history books of football in general, 28 to three being down at halftime like JMU was. Well, guess what they did? They won the game, similar to what the Patriots did against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Uh, James Madison comes back and they win the game 32-28. to 28. So they essentially outscored App State, you know, 29-0 in the rest of the game. And they and they, and they they win it. And they went to App State and they won. So James Madison is now 3-0, all right? They're, I mean, they're playing Texas State this week, because Texas State is not the worst team in the Sun Belt, but they're not a great. They're probably, you know, middle of the pack. They're 21-point favorites at home against Texas State. And it's like... This is a team that literally one year ago was playing Southeast Missouri State and Idaho College. There's like an IUPUI thing going on there with with one of the schools. This is actually schools they played. So the level of competition has increased so much. I think it's I think it's actually IUPUI. Do you know what it is, Matt? Yeah, I do know what it is. They do play Idaho State, but IUPUI is Indiana University of Pennsylvania, University of Indianapolis, I think. No, Indiana, nope. Indiana University, University Purdue, Purdue University, University of Indianapolis. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. The only easy yeah. basketball school, but I don't even know if they have a football team. Either way, the point is, JMU wasn't playing very good teams last year. They move up to the SBS. They're 3-0, and they've crushed everyone they played. Here's another team they played, Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State beat Miami at Miami this this past week by I think 20 points or something it was the biggest like upset win in the history of their school and you know in Middle Tennessee State everybody's like yeah this team's great oh you know whatever like awesome for them JMU beat Middle Tennessee State 44 to 7 all right they crushed them Middle Tennessee State is playing UTSA right now and I have UTSA minus minus four and a half and they're up by 11 at halftime Frank Harris balling out he's got 300 yards and two touchdowns okay so what are we doing here? James Madison deserves to be in the FBS and they're doing really well and they're proving themselves. I think given that all this is happening, well, at least so far, JMU could be the best college football team in the state of Virginia. All right. Like 
there's not that many college football teams. There's UVA, there's Virginia Tech, there's ODU, and Norfolk State, which is obviously, they're also in the FCS. Um, James or George Mason doesn't have a football team. William Mary's in the FCS too, so they're not really considered in this, in this sense. UVA is horrible this year. Hayden will talk about that a little bit more later on with his personal kind of, you know, anecdote about what he's doing with the UVA football team. seems like he's, he's causing a little bit of bad luck there. It seems like Hayden's Hayden's walking into the program at a, at, a, at the time that they're going down. Yeah, unfortunately, but it's all right. All right anyway, anyway, uh, Virginia tech has a new coach. Brent Pry used to be the defensive coordinator at uh, Penn state. They look horrible. Absolutely terrible. They got beat by ODU. ODU then goes loses to Virginia on a last second field goal. So it might be the ranking system for the schools in Virginia, just real quick as a tangent, might be JMU, ODU, Virginia Tech, and then UVA, which, uh, why, why? I'm glad though. That's good. Like these teams who are high powered ACC division one football schools who've been, you know, story programs forever are, are really bad, which is is good to see because the little guys need need, need a chance to, to shine. Uh, and they're doing that. So anyway, JMU could possibly be the best team in the, in the state of Virginia. Uh, they'll be ranked by next week. Okay, they'll be in the top 25 because of their wins already. And then they're going to crush Texas State at home, you know, this week. So they should be ranked. Um, they've beaten the best team in the Sun Belt on the road, which is, you know, App State, which is we already went over that. Uh, and they could actually quite possibly go undefeated this season. I mean, if you look at their schedule, I think their only tough game is Louisville, which they'll probably lose to Louisville because that's one of those like, you know, Louisville's an out of conference game. So Louisville's in the ACC. So it's it's kind of like JMU was to go play. Uh, you, well, I was going to say UVA or Virginia Tech, but they probably beat them at this point. Anyway, Louisville's a quality team. They're, they're probably going to lose that game. But either way. If JMU ends up going 11 and one in the regular season, that would be amazing. Now there's just one problem by NCAA rule, a team in their first year of eligibility in the FBS level of college football can't compete in the conference championship. What are we doing? I didn't even know this was a rule until I looked into it because of how well JMU was doing. And maybe that's why that there is a rule in the first place, but we need to get rid of it. So I think the point here, and, and I'll ask the question, but I, I hopefully Hayden's in agreement, but it's like, this could actually become a legit thing. JMU goes 11-1 in the regular season. They win the Sun Belt in the regular season, and then they just don't compete in the conference championship when pretty soon, pretty soon, when they get a 12-team college football playoff, almost, well, hopefully all conference champions will be guaranteed a spot for a national championship. Obviously, we're kind of stretching a little bit here, but JMU, essentially, if this was kind of a, the 12-team college football playoff format, would essentially have won their conference and then not been allowed to play for a, a national championship, despite the fact that every other team and every other circumstance can do that. So, obviously, we've gone over a lot here, history on JMU, history on Virginia college football in general. So, Hayden, do you think we'll see this rule changed because of this historic run by JMU or will the NCAA kind of just do what the NCAA always does and really not care about the universities and just go along with the rule as it is right now. I think if they continue their success throughout the rest of the season, like if they, if they really go out there and maybe not sweep everybody, but if they go out there and they have something like a, I don't know, maybe like a little 10 and two record or something like that, then they probably will turn heads and there might be some backlash. I mean, obviously since Matt is bringing this topic up already, there already is some backlash a little bit, but I think, I mean, yeah, it, I guess you could say that it makes sense the rule. Cause it's like, 
all right, like if, if we if somehow some good team, some power five team got dropped down to a group of five team, which we know that that probably would never happen just because of money. But if some if somehow if we had some relegation system where a power five team dropped down to a group of five team or a group of five conference and they just like absolutely wiped, which probably would happen with most power five schools, except for like maybe Vanderbilt and like a Missouri, you know, they 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 would probably not succeed as much as one would think in the group of five conferences, because we know that the group of five conferences do have some good teams like JMU and App State. And I mean, basically just Sunbelt right now, but it, it is what it is. Congratulations, Sunbelt. But yeah, so I, I think that like that's the, the, the rule is in place for that reason to kind of stop that from happening and say and kind of like prevent a team from just absolutely wiping every other team in the conference right away and like having some crazy unfair advantage over other teams in a, in a conference after moving down in terms of competitiveness from, from a, from a more competitive conference to a less competitive conference. That's definitely why the, the why the rule is there. But I do think that with the, with the hat, with the run that JMU is having right now, and if they are like just for sure going to make it to the conference championship this year, and they're not able to, that will probably turn some heads. And I do think that that, that that will probably get that rule changed. I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good topic there, Matt. I, I like the I liked your little your little kind of connection there. Thank you. Appreciate it. And yeah, I think it's just it's something that we need to point out now because again, a lot of the stuff we're early on and we're talking about it before it becomes a thing. And then it becomes a thing and we're like, we told you so. So, you know, at least we've kind of put it out there at this point too. I also played with two of the JMU starters. So James Madison has uh, the their left tackle, Tyshawn Wyatt. I played on the same team as him in, as high, in high school. He's absolutely massive, and he was probably one of the funniest players on the team as well. So, uh, shot, yeah, shout, shout out Ty there. And then Jalen Walker, I played against him. He played at one of the schools that we play every year. And so I played against him, and I was quarterback while he was, like, linebacker at the end or something like that. So And they're both starters for, for JMU, so that's pretty cool. So Hayden's just Hayden's basically a quarterback of JMU at this point, right? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a D1 quarterback. I don't know if you guys knew that, but that's yeah. I, that's actually the announcement. That yeah, I'm oh, I'm, I'm, the, wow. I'm actually the quarterback for the University of, of oh, Virginia right now. Yeah. You're not a, you're not an intern at UVA anymore. Now you're just no. you're, you're you're on top of the Sun Belt, huh? I don't know where you got interned from. I I'm I meant quarterback. That's that's, gotcha. that's what I am. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, the point of this whole topic, and I think that it's it's a valid one, is that we could see. Like in this, I love when this happens. It's like a team does so well to force a, a rule to be that hasn't ever like that was instituted however long ago. A team does so well unexpectedly that forces a rule to be changed so that they can play even better than they have been. Let's go, dude. And they're in they're in Virginia and they're and they're balling. Yeah, there you go. All right. With that being said, only one college football topic for today, but we will be back for a, a fun college football segment next week we have one planned for you guys and it's it's going to be it's going to be intense and it's going to be fun so so get ready for that but moving into matt's betting lock of the week go ahead we need we need like a sound drop we need like a cash register sound drop for for i will i'll add that i actually you'll already have heard it if you're listening to this you'll already have heard the sound effect so there you go well thank you for the sound effect that that was an amazing sound effect i haven't heard it yet but i'm sure it was a great one um, so my betting locks of the week, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
we're going to do one one NFL and we're going to do one college because last year it got a little it got a little out of hand. OK, not in terms of the amount of you know betting locks that I was getting out, but the fact that it was a little bit it was a little bit kind of either or you never really knew when you were going to get it. You never knew what type of you know what type was going to be. You didn't know what, what was going on. So we got we, we got a structure down now. And I'm, I know obviously we're like a quarter of the way through this college season already, but that's fine. OK, that's not that's, that's OK. Because you have the chance to win a lot of money if you follow my picks. All right. So I'm going to get, like I said, I'm going to give away NFL, college, in order. Let's go. Betting locks of the week. Starting out with college. I had two choices here. I narrowed it down to one. I might give you both just in case you want to make a lot of money on Saturday. All right. My number one betting lock of the college football Saturday. And it it's, it's a scary one, but I think we got it. I think we've nailed it. Arkansas plus 17 against if 17 and a half, if you can get it, plus 17 and a half against Alabama. That's right. In my first betting lock of the week of the entire season of this season of football that I'm giving away on the on the podcast, I'm basically going against Alabama. All right. So a little bit of an explanation here. Alabama has not looked as good as we thought they might or that they should so far when they've played, you know, legitimate competition. Texas is not a good football team. And they only won by one against Texas. And that's really the only the only even close to competition that they've played so far. They beat Vanderbilt by 52. They beat Utah State by 55. Arkansas is not Utah State or Vanderbilt. Arkansas is a really good football team. They're coming off of a historic loss against Texas A&M. Hayden, listen to this. Do you remember that field goal that happened for Arkansas last week against Texas A&M? It hit off of the top of the upright. Yes, I do remember the that. The top yes. of it. Like, I've never seen that. I've seen them bounce off and then bounce in. I've seen them bounce off and then bounce out. I've seen it hit the crossbar and bounce over the, the thing to, to be a field goal. You know, I've never seen it bounce off the top of the upright. And here's the craziest part. They were playing in Jerry's World at the Cowboys Stadium. And NFL goal, um, the goalposts in NFL stadiums are taller than they are in college stadiums. So if he would have been in a college stadium, even if it was at Texas A&M, he would have made the field goal because it would have gone over the goalpost and won the game for them. But he didn't because he hit the top of the goalpost because they were playing in the NFL stadium. All to say, Arkansas should have won that game. Here's another reason they should have won the game. K.J. Jefferson, their quarterback, it's first and goal from the four. He dives and reaches the ball out, and it gets knocked out of his hand and run back for a touchdown. That's a 14-point swing. But one, but one thing about this, and I, I'm sorry for cutting that off, but one thing about this, if you didn't watch that scoop and score, it's actually the, the, the Texas A&M guy that recovered it. He, like, started running for – I guess probably 20 yards or something like that. Cause it got picked up about at about the five. He went to like the 25 yard line or the 20 yard line. He got wrapped up by one of the receivers, one of the Texas A&M receivers. I'm pretty sure. Or no, one of the, one of the Arkansas receivers, I'm pretty sure. And then he like wouldn't go down. And there was this Texas, there was this other Texas A&M defender that came up behind him and was like, give me the ball. And he like handed him the ball. So it was, it was a lateral technically, but he basically just handed it off to his teammate and his teammate took it for a score. So that's, that's how that happened. Either way, that was seven points for Texas A&M. That should not have been, it should have been seven points for Arkansas. If we take that score, give it to Arkansas, take it away from Texas A&M along with the field goal that basically was in and just hit the top of the upright and was complete fluke. Arkansas wins the game 31 to 17. 
31 to 12. No, 31 to 16. 31 to 16. If they if Arkansas wins that game 31 to 16, you think they're 17 and a half point dogs to Bama this week? No. No, they're not. They're at home. They're playing Bama. Bama's a good team. Fine. You know, it's Alabama. They always are. All right. But Arkansas has it. I think it I don't expect Arkansas to win the game. They just need a lot, not lose by 17 points. That's a lot of points at home in SEC West rival game. So give me Arkansas plus the points. It's a little bit, it's a little scary because we're betting against Alabama. But again, Alabama's probably going to win the game. I, that, that's fine. But I just need Arkansas to hold it together for a little bit. And I think we'll be okay with that uh, because I think even Alabama, like their weapons, the receivers are not that great. Bryce Young has done everything for this team. And, and he likewise will in this game, just not to the tune of, being able to beat Arkansas single-handedly by like 30 points. I don't think it's going to happen. NFL betting lock of the week is the Titans plus four against the Colts. Why is this the line? Nobody knows. The Titans should be favored in this game. I get it. They started out pretty badly and they were, you know, they were 0-2 to start. But they beat the Raiders last week. They got they got off the schneid, as they call it, and they're playing the Colts this week. Now, what do we know about the Colts? The Colts also started off 2-0, all right? These are two AFC South teams, a divisional game, all right? And they both started off horrible. They both started off 0-2, and the Colts looked way worse than the Titans did in their first two losses. And they had a miracle win against the Chiefs last, last week at home, and and... Oh, just because of that, we think that the, the Colts are back. No, the Colts are a bad team. I've been telling you since before the season started, Matt Ryan can't stand up properly, all right? As much as Jonathan Taylor's an amazing running back, he can't carry this team single-handedly. This is going to be an ugly game, all right? Probably not many not many points scored, but that's fine because if you take the underdog, all you need to do is have them keep it within four points. And I love this number, too, number four, the, the four. Essentially, means that the Colts could win this game by three, and you still win your bet because you have plus four. So... Give me the Arkansas plus 17 and a half or plus 17 against Alabama for my college betting lock of the week on Saturday. And then on Sunday, NFL, it's the Titans plus four against the Colts. The Colts are horrible. So we're going to fade them here and we're going to take the Titans. I think the Titans are going to probably win out light outright. Don't take them on the money line because you get four points. They can lose by four. They can lose by three, lose by two or one or whatever. You still win your bet. You're good to go. So those are the two betting locks of the week. We will be back on Monday. And in the podcast, I will review how the betting locks of the week went. And if you followed them, that's a credit to you. And if I was going to give out uh, that second college under or that second college bet, it would be the under in the Ole Miss Kentucky game under 54 and a half. But Hayden, go ahead with your story. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. All right. Well, my my kind of end of podcast spiel spiel here that's the second time i've used that word this this podcast i just i don't know my, my brains are kind of scrambled i just had sushi king i just want to when, when all, all you can eat sushi so uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty pretty full full belly i guess you could say that my brain should be working better that i have a full belly anyway but yeah my um my little announcement that i have is not that i'm the starting quarterback for the uba football team i'm not at all close to that i'm actually i am just an intern but Justin in turn is not the way to put it because I'm it is a great opportunity that I'm 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 happy to be starting. If you guys are that are listening that which again I, I have no idea like who has been listening for how long and if we have any really new listeners or if it's a lot of kind of OGs that have been here since the real OG days since I mean season one like season season one FDRD listeners are you guys are crazy dude I mean let me let me tell you if if you listen to season one at all then you would know that this podcast was actually started with Azam Kapadia, AKA AZ. We call him AZ on this podcast. He comes on every now and then for like draft episodes and stuff like that. Cause that's a specialty, but 
we still have him on the on, on the podcast every once in a while. And you guys, if you guys know him, and if you guys listen to our introduction episode, which I think was the first episode of season one or the first episode of this podcast ever, we introduce ourselves. And Az said that he was part of the part of the recruiting staff at UVA, and he was also he's still a student as well at UVA. But essentially, I got the same opportunity this coming into this past well this past summer really coming into the 2022-2023 school year and so ever since school started I've been working in the recruiting department as an intern working in the office you know Monday through Thursday it's uh it's 10 hours a week and it's you know it's 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 cool it's it's actually really fun it's exposing me to the front office side of things that I'm I'm realizing that I like more than I thought I would so might it might turn into something better or something something here soon i don't know i mean it, I, that's what i'm hoping it's a great opportunity it's uh you know it is a lot of work like with school on top of school but again if it's something that you enjoy you're not really working i don't look at it as work i, I look at it as an activity that i'm going to do monday through thursday and then obviously saturdays i work the games the home games as well because we have recruits come to those games but Yes, that's that. That being said, in terms of how it will affect the podcast, it won't really affect the podcast at all. I know that you guys heard AZ say a couple times if you listen to those episodes, which again, if you did, thank you so much for listening still. Um, but in those episodes that, that I did with AZ back in season one, you guys heard him say a couple times, like, I can't really speak too much on this. Anytime that we would talk about UVA, which was really the only college football we talked about back then, it was it used to be this podcast used to be all NFL. We switched it over to basically all sports, still football focused during football season, but basically all sports um, after after Matt kind of came in and, and became a co-host as well. We started doing all sports, but it used to be all just football. And if we would talk about college football, it would be about UVA. But sometimes AZ would be like, yeah, I can't really speak on this much because when it comes to UVA sports, like as an intern and as somebody that's technically employed by them, I can't really talk about them much. And I, because I do have some technically, you know, just like by default, I've been in the offices and I, and I do have like some information that shouldn't be public. So it's right. If you guys want to try to get it out of me, then you can. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to crack though. You know what I'm saying? I can, I can uh, talk all day you want. I'm not going to crack though. So, uh, so yeah, that's how it's going to be from here on out. Again, we don't really talk about UVA much because like Matt said earlier, like we're not really doing too hot right now uh, so far this season. And yeah, but it's, it's okay though. Cause you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll bounce back soon, but I don't know if that will happen either, but yes, ergo, I'm a UVA football recruiting intern and that is the end of this episode. So Thank you guys for listening. Um, that was cool. I was quite the ending. Let me, let me tell you, uh, that's uh, Matt. I don't think we could have planned out a better, a more exciting ending there, but yeah, but we're going to, we're going to sign off for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you guys for listening again. We will try to be back on Monday. <clears throat> I'm thinking, I mean, it's, it's Friday night here. So uh, yeah, but, but I'm thinking Monday, maybe, maybe a little bit of Tuesday action. And I, we dropped it midday on Tuesday this past week. I don't know if you guys saw that little, little finesse from the, from the Bozar brothers dropping it midday, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a fun episode to do. So we might do that again next week. It kind of just depends, but with that being said, I know Matt's itching to get out of here and go hang out with Marine, but, um, but yeah, with that being said, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.